This chapter was on the schedule for this day for such a time as this. And we're looking at Luke chapter 12 where Jesus pulls his disciples aside, turns to them, and addresses them on the subject of worry. I think that this is a timely message a timely message from Jesus to us, a community that's worrying about many things, and rightly so. And this would be a great time for each one of us to lean in and listen to the words of Jesus, because I think he has some great things to say to us in this moment, in this time, in this season. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to go through this passage, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. Um, But also at the end of it, I want to share some words I believe the Lord has has given me to share with all who are listening. And I just want to greet all of you who are listening, those of you who call Walnut Hill your your, your home. For those of you across the United States, last uh, week we had many people tune in from all across the country For those of you who are watching from different parts of the world, uh, we're thankful that you're tuning in too. The the Word of God applies to each and every one of us, no matter where we are. And as we face this virus as a world, as as, as people on this planet, these words from Jesus are going to really hone in and really focus in. They're, They're timely words for us today. I pray that they will be for you. But what I'd like to do at the end of this message, so, so stay tuned all the way through the end, I believe the Lord's given us some very specific words about what it means uh, for, for the church to enter into one of its finest moments, one of its finest hours right now. So let's start by looking at Luke chapter 12 and verses 22 to 32. You know, Jesus essentially turns to his disciples after addressing a large crowd, and he talks to them about this subject of worry. Previous to this, he was talking to a large group of people. He tells the story of of this rich fool who who sees that he has so much, and he thinks to himself, what am I going to do with all these crop, with all this harvest? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll take down my my smaller barns. I'll big build, big build bigger barns and put all of my stuff there. He's hoarding things and, and Jesus calls this, this rich man a fool because he doesn't know what's going to happen to him the next day. It turns out that this man passes away in the night and then all, these, all of his stuff, all of his things are just left there doing nothing. And then Jesus turns to his disciples in our passage and he begins to talk to them about worry. Essentially what Jesus is asking his disciples is, why are you worrying? Why do you worry? Now maybe Jesus is asking us that question too. And if he is, I think all of us could say, listen Jesus, there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot of things that we're worrying about. What do you mean you're asking, why do you worry? Listen, yes, we are worrying. I don't know about you, but I'm worrying about getting sick. I'm sure many of us are worrying about getting sick. Man, I'm worrying what's going to happen to my finances. I might be worrying about what's going to happen uh, to the church. If I had to be honest with you, as, as, as a pastor, uh, in just real vulnerability, things have gone through my mind. I, I've begun to spin on, Lord, what does this mean for the church? What's going to happen? How long are we going to be in this online-only mode? And at the end of it, will people return? 
Is the church going to survive through this? And, and as one of your leaders, I've thought about this, and I got to tell you, my mind spun on this. Lord, what's happening here? I worry about this. There's lots to worry about, Jesus. I'm a parent. I worry about my kids. Listen, I don't always get it right as a parent, and I worry about what's going to happen to them. I'm worrying about college. I'm seeing like the, the cost of college go up year after year, thinking, Lord, how can I ever afford college? Jesus, you want to know what I'm worrying about? There's a lot to worry about. Why am I worrying? Well, because there's, there's a lot in this world to worry about. You might be in this moment thinking to yourself, listen, what's going to happen to my business? Maybe you're a small business owner. Maybe for you, you're a parent, and all of a sudden, you've become a teacher. You are now running a homeschool program in your home, thinking, Lord, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about my kids, what this is going to mean for them. Uh, there's a lot to worry about. Why do you worry? But then don't worry, because Jesus gives, gives real comforting words right in this moment. And at the beginning of our passage, verse 22, this, this is what Jesus says. You're going to love it. He says, don't worry. Oh, Okay. <laughs> You know, what's the worst thing you could say to somebody who's worrying? Don't worry. Or maybe, hey, it's, it's not that bad. These are things you just don't say to people who are worrying. But Jesus says, he says, listen, just don't worry. There was a really popular song that came out in uh, the early 1980s. And it was called Don't Worry, Be Happy uh, by Bobby McPherson. And uh, this, this, this song was hugely popular. It was one of the first a cappella songs to reach a number one on the Billboard charts. And it, it's a great song because it's so happy. It's, it's bubbly. It, it, the meter of it, it brings you great joy. But um, I read through the lyrics, and, and I want to share some of them with you because really there's no substance behind why you should not worry and be happy. Listen to some of the words of this song. It says this, ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry, be happy. You take away the music, that song is a depressing song. And there's no substance behind why you should be happy and not worry. It's really depressing. So how is it that Jesus can come on the scene and look at his disciples? Now listen, these disciples had a lot to worry about as well. They had just dropped everything to follow Jesus. You can think about the way their minds were spinning as well. How are we going to eat? How are we going to be clothed? Who's going to welcome us in, in the towns? Uh, what about my family? Maybe I've left some family back home. Uh, did I make a huge mistake following this Jesus? You can see their minds kind of spinning, and Jesus comes in and says, just don't worry. How can Jesus say this? How can this be a good response? And here's how I think it's a good response, because I think Jesus is the only one that can say this. Don't worry. I want you to picture Jesus saying this to the disciples, saying it to us as a community right now. Don't worry. You see, the words, when you imagine them coming from Jesus, they have more weight, more credibility. And here's why, because we know that he knows something that we don't. Don't worry. I remember I went to one of my friend's houses uh, last year. One of my, my favorite football team was in the playoffs, and I went to his house to watch the game. 
Now, we are watching it recorded because I couldn't be there on time for the actual live event. And my friend had watched the game already. And so I'm sitting in his home watching my team. And in the first quarter, they, they begin to lose. And I'm getting worried. Oh, no, they're, 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 they're not going to win. They're, they're already down. But then I looked at my friend, and I noticed that he wasn't worried. I knew he had already watched the game. And so I was taking my cues from him. He wasn't worried because he knew the outcome. He knew something that I didn't know. And friends, I think we need to be reminded here that Jesus, he knows something that we don't know, that, that he can with, co- with confidence say to his disciples in this moment, listen, don't be afraid. I know you're worried about your, your finances. I know you're worried about what's coming next. I know you're, you're worried about your condition, your position, what you're going to wear. I know you're worried about all these things, but listen, I'm about to bring you into something that, that, that's so great that you could never imagine or think. I'm about to, 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 to go to the cross for you. I'm about to forgive your sins. I'm about to welcome you into the presence of the Father. I'm about to, to give you good gifts. I'm about to give you my presence in a, in a brand new way. Don't don't worry, I know something that you don't. And friends, I, I want to challenge us in this moment in, 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 our, in our history, this, this moment with what's happening in our world, that we would be people that are reminded that we know something that others don't. And I want us to be people who, who carry peace, who carry joy, who carry hope, because we know something that others don't don't. You see, we know what the end of the game looks like, and we know that we have victory in Jesus. We know that we can have the presence of God with us through his spirit. We, we know that God is walking with us. Therefore, we know that we can have joy, and we can have peace, and we can have hope for our future. Let's be reminded that we know something that others don't. You know, as I look at our passage today from Luke chapter 12, Jesus, it's not like the song, don't worry, be happy, because Jesus gives this, this reason for, for hope, this, this reason to not worry. There's substance behind it. And I want to share three things with you from our, from our passage about what Jesus teaches us in, in, in seasons where our, our circumstances are unsettling, when there's great reason for, for worry. And this gives substance to, to him being able to say, do not worry. The first thing I want to share with you is this, is that we, we learn from the words of Jesus is that our God cares deeply about us. We have a God who cares deeply about us. I want you to know, friends, that you have a God who cares deeply about you. Think of the words that Jesus shares in this passage. In verse 24, Jesus says, consider the ravens. Maybe the disciples are thinking to themselves, why is he talking about rape? Why is he talking about birds right now? We're, we're worried about finances. We're worried about what we're going to wear. We're worried about what we're going to eat. And now Jesus is talking about birds. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Now, the first century disciples here, they would, would have remembered, they would have known what Jesus was talking about. As soon as he says, consider the ravens, 
Now, in their time, there was food that was considered clean and unclean, things that were on the menu and things that were off the menu, things you could eat and things you could not eat. And you would follow the law as written in Leviticus chapter 11. It's listed with great detail what you could eat, what you could not eat. In, in, in verse 13 through about 18, it gives you what birds you were allowed to eat, which you weren't to eat. And on the list of banned uh, birds that you were considered unclean uh, was the ravens. And so what Jesus is saying here, even this, this bird that has been banned, it's considered unclean. Even with this bird, God cares for this bird. How much more does he care for you? He cares for you deeply. Friends, I think this is a moment where we need to be reminded that our Jesus, our God, he cares for us deeply. Jesus' point here is this. Don't spend your life worrying about all these things. God will care for you. The second lesson that I I learned from Jesus' words here is this, is that our worrying gains us nothing. Our worrying gains us nothing nothing. You know, the return of worrying is more worrying. It's like a snowball going down a hill. You worry and it just creates more worry. It, it leads you into places uh, that, that really are unhealthy. Worry after worry after worry. This is why Jesus says here in this passage in verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And the answer obviously is no one. No one in the history of this world has ever worried and gained time. It has never been done. In fact, all we do when we worry is we lose time. We lose time worrying about all these different things. We gain nothing. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if worrying is unable to even add a single hour to our day, then worrying will not be able to deliver on the bigger things either. Worrying is not going to get us out of the situation. Worrying is not going to get our kids into college. Worrying is not going to make the church thrive. Worrying is not going to keep us healthy. Worrying is not going to get me healthy. Worrying is not going to save my business. Worrying gains us nothing. In fact, the truth is, is that usually the opposite is true. Worrying leads us down unnecessary paths. You've all done this. We've all done this. Where we begin to worry on one thing and it leads us down this great path and all of a sudden it's escalated us into this great place of fear and anxiety. You know, I I could have said when when my daughter was four years old and she lost a tooth and the the tooth that was coming in was crooked, I could have said, oh man, I'm worried. She's going to need braces. Oh man, I'm I'm worried about that. And if now she needs braces, I know braces are really expensive. How how am I going to be able to afford braces? Oh man, that's that's troublesome to me. I guess she's going to have to get a job in order to help pay for her braces. But, you know, what if she can't find a job? Well, what is she going to do with her time then? Oh man, if she doesn't have a job, now she has all this time on her hand. What if she gets wrapped up and mixed up in bad company? Oh man, now she's in bad company. What if that bad company leads her into unhealthy things? Maybe even she gets into a group of 
people that, you know, introduce her to, to drugs and alcohol. My goodness, now, now she can become an addict. And if she becomes an addict, well then, oh my goodness, I'm, now I'm really worried because she could get herself wrapped up in, in something that would be unlawful. And what if she does something that's unlawful and she's arrested and now she needs a lawyer, but I couldn't afford the braces. I certainly can't afford a good lawyer. And so now she doesn't have a good lawyer and all of a sudden she's going to lose her case and then she's going to have to go to jail. So now all of a sudden, you put your four-year-old daughter in jail just because she had a crooked tooth. <laughs> and this is what we do in life. It's, it's this sequence of unraveling and, and spinning, and our worry has got us nowhere. It's gained us nothing. And so Jesus just poignantly says, listen, don't worry. What's it going to gain you? It's going to gain you Nothing. The third thing I want to share with you this is that Jesus, he's, he's really sharing this. And in this passage, it comes alive to us. And it's a good reminder for each and every one of us is that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. He talked about the ravens and how he'll feed their and care for the ravens. And then Jesus talks about the lilies of the field, the wildflowers of the field. Uh, they, they don't labor and spin, but instead it, it's the Lord who provides the water and the sun and, and clothes them with great beauty. Why should you labor and spin? The Lord's going to care for you. He's going to be faithful to you. You know, as I was thinking about the faithfulness of God, I, I asked the Lord, you know, Lord, what, what do you want to say to us about your faithfulness in this season? And, and I wish I could stand here today, friends, and tell you that on the other side of this very difficult season, everything will go back to as it was. And maybe we think that's what the faithfulness of God is, that everything will just return back to, to normal, to what it was before. But I, I just don't think that is necessarily the case. I, I, I think I'd be giving you false hope if I were to say that. But, but here's what I, I felt the Lord kind of leading me to. I, I feel led to tell you about God's faithfulness in this way. That if you seek him in this season, you are going to grow in your relationship with him more than you could ever imagine. That in this moment, if you choose to turn to the Lord and, and maximize your time with the Lord, if you seek him with all of your heart, you're going to grow in your relationship with him and your relationship with others in ways you could never imagine. I, I, as, I, as I just heard this from the Lord, I, I saw people hearing from God better than they had ever heard from him before. I saw people understanding the ways of God better than they have ever understood them. I saw people's faith stretching as they began to trust God with, with things that they, they needed him for. I saw people serving others way beyond their comfort zone. I saw people stepping into deeper and stronger relationships with one another. Could this be a time where this is one of the church's finest moments. You know, this is a, a word that we've heard in several different places. As elders, we get up every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. and we pray together. And in one of our Thursday morning prayer meetings, uh, one person said, you know, I sense the Lord saying that this could be one of the church's finest hours. Later on in that day, we received an email from one of our intercession prayer groups and they said, as we were praying, the Lord placed this on our hearts that this could be one of the church's finest hours. 
and they use the exact same words. You know, friends, I think the Lord is speaking to us. He's saying this could be the church, one of the church's finest hours. You know, when I heard that word and I reflected on it, it, it felt like, man, yeah, the Lord is really saying this. And, and I liked it. I was like, yes, this is a good word. Yes, Lord, let this be one of our finest hours, our finest moments where many people come to know you, where, where your kingdom is built, where we get to see your power and your presence in, in, in ways we've never seen it before. Yes, Lord, I love this word. But then I, I began to ask the Lord, well, how? How is this going to be one of our finest moments as a church? How? And as I asked that question, friends, the Lord, like almost immediately, gave me six ways, six ways of, of how this, right now, this moment, could be one of the church's finest hours. And I want to share these six things with you. I'd even encourage you, if you have a, a piece of paper, to write them down um, and, and pray over them and ask the Lord, what is your part in it? And so let me share the six. This is what I, I felt the Lord saying to me. He gave me six specifics on how this could be our finest hours. The first is this. It will become one of your finest hours when you realize you know something others don't. Friends, this could be one of the church's finest hours if we're able to see and realize and remember that we know something that others don't. This could become one of our finest hours when we remember that we carry hope, that we have hope, that we know Jesus is returning. We know that we have the presence of God, that we have the power of God, that our sins are forgiven, that actually this isn't the only thing here on this planet, but we have eternity to look forward to. When we remember that we know something that others don't, this could become the church's finest hour. Second, it will become one of your finest hours when you see that this is not a time to lose, but a time to gain. It's very easy for us in this moment to say, look at all that we are losing. Look at everything we're losing. Maybe we're losing financially. Maybe we're losing in our, our education. Our schools are closing. Maybe we're, we're losing in, in, in connection with one another. As we look at it, we can see, wow, it seems like we're losing right now. But if we're able to flip the switch and, and turn things upside down and see from a kingdom perspective, I think the Lord is saying, listen, this will be your finest hour if you can remember and realize and understand that right now you're not losing, that this is actually a time to gain. And I think what the Lord is calling us to here is, is full attention on Him, really seeking Him, and maximizing our time with one another. I think if we take this seriously, and we see this as a time to gain, that actually some of your marriages could take a turn. That, that if you take the time to be intentional about meeting with one another, praying with one another, studying God's word together, leaning in to hear from God for your marriage, that this could be a turning point in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships with your kids, and in relationship with the Lord. Third, it will become one of your finest hours if you turn from worrying to worship. Friends, I believe the Lord is calling us to praise him right now, to thank him right now for who he is, his goodness. I think he's calling us to replace our worry 
with worship. You know, there have been studies done that, that tell us that when we worship the Lord, it, it actually, we can't worry at the same time. And the Lord's calling us, no, worship. Turn your attention and your affection to Him. Fourth, it will become one of your finest hours if you turn from panicking to praying. You know, a lot of people would look at you and say, yeah, it's very reasonable for you to panic right now. But I believe the Lord's calling us to turn our panic to prayer. That we'd be people who go before him, go into the Holy of Holies, where we spend time praying, seeking his face, asking for his wisdom, bringing our requests, bringing the names of our neighbors and our, our friends and the most vulnerable to the Lord. Spending time with him and really praying. Fifth, it will become one of your finest hours if you trust God with his new plans for you. You know, I think this is a word for the church, but I think this could also be a word for us as individuals as well. See, I just picture the Lord handing out new blueprints, saying here, here are your new marching orders. Here are your new blueprints for your business, for, for your family life, for your church. I believe the Lord, he's going around and he's handing out these, these new blueprints. And if we're humble enough and willing enough to accept these new blueprints, then it could be the church's finest moment. It could be your finest hour serving and living for the Lord. What is this new thing that the Lord is handing you? Or maybe is it simply the question of, will you ask the Lord, what new thing are you doing in and through me. Finally, six, it will become one of your finest hours if you choose compassion over comfort. You know, this could easily become a moment where we say, listen, I'm not going to minister to others. That's dangerous. Uh, that's, that, 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 everyone's telling me not to do that. Uh, but maybe this is a time for us, uh, for our finest hours on the other side of us saying, Lord, we are going to be compassionate people even if it stretches us beyond what we're comfortable with. I'm not saying be unreasonable, but maybe the Lord is doing new ways and offering new ways for us to bring compassion to people. It could be through letter writing. It could be through uh, virtual calls. It could be by delivering meals, whatever it might be. Are we willing to extend past our comfort in order to really ignite compassion? You know, as, as the Lord gave me this one, I, I saw this, this picture of, of hundreds of these newly written covenants of compassion. And then it took me even further, and I saw a bunch of different refrigerators in people's homes. Maybe it was your home. These, these refrigerators in different people's homes. And, and on all of these refrigerators, there was these covenants that were, were taped and, 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 and put on the front of the refrigerator. There were these handwritten covenants, covenants of compassion. What it looks like for these individual families and, and people to, to ignite compassion in their neighborhoods, in, in, in their places of influence right now. You see, I think what the Lord wants to do is he wants to take this corporate vision of compassion to ignite compassion, and he wants to bring it right into your home in an intentional way about how you and your family is going to act compassionately. I want to encourage you today or this week to get with your spouse or with, with, if you're single, with maybe with another friend, uh, with your families, and write up a covenant of compassion and then live by it. 
and see what the Lord might do. Friends, this could be one of the church's finest hours. Let's press in to these six specific ways on how it could become just that. Now, before I conclude, I want to share one last thing before, before we tune out. But uh, every Tuesday night, we're going to be offering uh, a teaching, a conversation that's going to happen for the next six weeks. I've put together a, a six-week series that I'm calling Conversations. And um, it's going to include six topics that are worth talking about right now. I want you to join the conversation. Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. You can live chat through it. You can ask different questions and just comment along the way. This week, this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., I'm going to be interviewing Nero Feliciano, who's a psychotherapist. I'm going to be asking her the question, how do we overcome worry? This might be a great resource for your friends, for your family members who are really worrying and panicking right now. How do we overcome worry and step into a different posture? Hey friends, I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep pressing into the Lord. Seek his face. Use this time, not as a time to lose, but a time to gain in your relationship with him and your relationship with one another. We're praying for you. We love you. And uh, we hope that you're all doing well. Uh, I pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.